Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Bobby, I, I have some news that I wanted to share with you. I know there was a lot that went on this past week. Um, but there was one thing that really stood out to me. And I think that you've seen this, but for, for all of our listeners, there was some really important breaking news. Quote, We're getting a season? Just <laughs> just spoke with at MLB Commissioner. America really needs some unifying common experiences right now. Not to distract us from our challenges, but to remind us of the things we have in common. Baseball can help fill that void, and I am cautiously optimistic we will hashtag play ball very soon. Marco Rubio, thank you. Thank you for your service, sir. I, I feel so good that amid the negotiations of trying to um, play baseball in 2020, amid a pandemic and grievances between the owners and the players, that MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred is just phoning up Marco Rubio and being like, Marco, buddy, what do you think? He's just got like free time. You know, he's not doing anything else. He's, he's not coming not up with counter proposals. He's just phoning Marco Rubio. Phoning. <laughs> what a fucking outdated verb, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I I have to respect Rob Manfred's commitment to being a clown, even in his free time. You know, like like it's not just an act. You know, it's it's comforting to know it's not just an act for the public. Between the Marco Rubio tweet and the the weird thirst from old baseball guy Twitter for George W. Bush to be the commissioner. The Republican Party Major League Baseball crossover this past week has been too much for me. It's it's always kind of too much for me, but this past week specifically, because if this moment does not express to you how ineffective it would be to have a former Republican politician as commissioner of major league baseball i don't know what will george yeah. w bush the guy who was president during katrina is going to handle bringing mlb back during a global pandemic really uh we're gonna have a dozen cases of covid and he's gonna figure out a way to i don't know bomb another country in retaliation for it yes exactly Damn, we got political right off the bat. I well, love it. I respect it, it. The whole thing is political, man. It's just baseball is more political than it's ever been. I'm sure there are people dying in Facebook groups all around America I, who I, hate, who lament the politics of baseball. I have no idea what you're talking about. Baseball sports have never been political. And frankly, I think we should stop acting like they are. Underrated part of the Rubio tweet, by the way. The hashtag play ball. Which yeah. is like an actual MLB hashtag initiative. Like he just co-opted. He's like hashtag play ball. I don't care if they already use this hashtag play ball. Do you think that Rob Manfred maybe asked him to do it? Was kind of like, hey Marco, while while I have you on the phone, I would love if you could just tweet out hashtag play ball. Like it would be really great for our brand if you could do that. It's like when you and I ask people who come on the show to retweet the podcast link. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Or like, I mean, we're like he, crafting the tweet for them. You know, we're like, if you could just hit us with a quote tweet, 
Yeah. If you could just be like, hey, I had a really fun time on this podcast. Here's here's what you can say. We'll send you the, the sample text for you to just copy and paste in. Seriously. Uh, we have a lot to get to in this episode. We're going to give a timeline of everything that's gone down in the last week around COVID and the, the potential return or just eventual collapse of baseball. Um, but before we do that, I'm Alex Baisley. Ooh, I'm Bobby Wagner. And you're listening to Tipping Pitches. Okay, Alex, are you ready? Are you ready to talk about the collapse of labor relations in Major League Baseball? Is there anything we need to get to first? There actually is one thing, Bobby. And um and it's been something that's been a real sticking point for me recently. Um, every so often you will swear on the podcast and it really just, it really just irks me. I really think that we as a society, we're just, we've, we've evolved past the need for swears is I think what I'm trying to say. Um, it gets under my skin and you know who else's skin it really gets under apparently our boy, our old friend of the pod, Phil Mushnick. I just want to know, I, I want a visual. You know how like when when the New York Times profiles somebody like a like a blogger or like an online content creator and they go to their house and they kind of take a picture of them in front of their whole monitor setup. They take a picture of their living room. Sometimes their cat is like sitting on the desk next to them just to give you a sense of scene of where this person creates their content, how they live their life. I need that for Phil Mushnick. What is the basement or what is the room? What does his home office look like? Where he comes up with these ideas. Like, what is in that room? What is the decoration? What headspace is he in when he thinks, damn, global pandemic, collapse of Major League Baseball and Players Association labor relations, people literally dying every day, global uprising around police brutality and systemic racism. And the thing that I need to write a 2,000-word column about today is Pete Alonso saying fuck. Not even saying fuck, actually. Not even. Well, not even. Yeah. Just read well, the piece. Read the piece. This is, a, yeah. Phil Mushnick's editor comes to him and is like, hey, Phil, what do you, uh, what do you want to write about today? Maybe there have been some development. Rob Manfred said there might not be a baseball season. That's big. That's big. That's right up your alley, Phil. You got this. And he's like, what the F word? Huh. <laughs> I can't really, I can't really get over that one. Um, Phil Mushnick, our boy had a column in the New York Post this past week titled Mets Pete Alonzo, part of sports' growing vulgarity problem. Thank you, Phil, for speaking your truth, always. Look, I clicked the article. <laughs> he, he knows how to drive the clicks. Frankly, he does his job and he does it well. It's not like he's actually harming society with these columns, whereas like the Tom Cotton op-ed was maybe potentially harming society. At least true. Phil Mushnick is extraneous, you know? <laughs> You got to give him that. He starts his column. Some wrongs are not difficult to write. As my friend Mark Morley says, it's not rocket surgery. Yet, and for no good reasons, we inexorably sink lower every day by pathetic design. Is Meanwhile, that a typo? Is that a, hold on. Was the rocket surgery thing a typo? What is rocket surgery? I think... Um, it is a, I believe it's a portmanteau of saying, you know, like it's not rocket science and 
it's not, it's not you know, open like heart, heart open heart surgery or whatever. Gotcha. It's just one of those, you know, cute things. Yeah. Could have just went with the easy route and said it's not <laughs> rocket science, but you know. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the modern marketing and TV content rationale has become quote it's no worse than this or quote it's no worse than that. I don't I don't really know what that means. But what is it even better than? For example, he always starts in the middle of a diatribe. Like he always starts in the middle of a rabbit hole. He never yes. starts with the point. He always starts seven steps ahead of the point and then brings it back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like when he is... wrote the article about Yasiel Puig and he started talking about like stealing home or something like that. That was yeah. He had, yeah, yeah. He had some like weird analogy that he was trying to pull this is exactly what like your middle school english teacher told you to never do like don't just start with this kind of long winding thought process put the thesis up top my guy intro paragraph that's what we're looking for we need phil mushnick to do the in today's modern society sentence up top (laughs) you know that every single essay between fifth and eighth grade started with in today's modern society we always see that x we need that from phil for example the Mets and MLB seem to have no problem with the team's traditional marketing slogan, Let's Go Mets, having added a vulgarity. Now, chewed by young Pete Alonso, it's LFGM. He doesn't actually say what the phrase stands for, which is, let's fucking go Mets. Which, yeah, inarguable. I don't know how anyone can disagree with that. But he continues. So if he knows the F word is so vulgar and inappropriate... (laughs) that it must hide behind its initial. Why use it? Why not instead lose it? To emphasize anything, it now seems as if you have to add or throw in the F word. Those spray paint armed, quote, protesters who desecrated the outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral after all. Okay, wait, I was wrong. He (laughs) is writing about what's going on in the world. He's just using Pete Alonso's hashtag to be racist? Yes, exactly. They couldn't stop with BLM. They topped it with a large f- fuck, I guess. Again, he, he d- refuses to write the word, or it's in New York Post's style guide that they're not allowed to write it out. So, But he was going to write a column about it anyway. He writes, I guess that word is to prove you really, really mean it, or really, really care. Pete Crow Armstrong, the Mets' first pick, has already joined the movement. He tweeted, <laughs> LFGM. Again, these are people who are tweeting like an acronym. Yeah. This is no one is Pete Alonso isn't out here being like, let's fucking go, boys. <laughs> Even if he was. Okay, could just continue. Just continue. I, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but LFGM t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, bumper stickers, and even virus masks are now for sale. Reminds me of when the NFL sold framed photos of Marshawn Lynch grabbing his crotch. Again, it's not rocket surgery. The Mets, MLB, and Alonzo's and Crow's agents can't ask them to cut it out, or is it protected under the collective bargaining agreement? To which I say, I sure hope it is. If swearing is not in the next collective bargaining agreement, we need to get our own lawyer in the room. It's not like Pete Alonzo is the only one tweeting this, and the Mets are like, please stop tweeting this. And it's like SNY is tweeting this, which is yeah. the Mets broadcasting partner. Yes. Um, fast forward, fast forward. More more examples. Um, CC Sabathia, Rob Gronkowski, yada, yada. And then he finishes 
what's the upside for now and later? We grow coarser. That's a good thing. Freedom of expression is supposed to leave us all lower. Would Alonzo teach the kids in his life to speak vulgarities? He can't do any better. Literally like seven questions in a row. Dude, yeah. that's like all this, all this writing trick in the book. Come on. Quote, dad, what does the F stand for? <laughs> Go ask uncle Rob Banfred. He said uncle kids Rob. are MLB's top priority. Wow. Okay. A couple Art. of things here. I got a lot of thoughts. Number one, this column is amazing. Yeah, it is. It's actually really impressive because in it, you can see the glimpses of how Phil Mushnick became like the man yelling at cloud columnist of choice for the New York Post because the ability to use something so inane to talk about all of the things that you really want to smash in a column, but if you if you made that the column, if you made that the whole column, people would be like, people would try to cancel you, right? If you just made a whole column about tone policing Black Lives Matter, people would be like, you're just a racist old dude trying to write about Black Lives Matter in the post. But instead, when he makes it about Pete Alonzo writing Let's Fucking Go Mets and then tone policing everyone else in sports. You notice how he does just a drive-by of CC Sabathia, a drive-by of Black Lives Matter, a drive-by of the MLB union. It's like, I you have to respect it. You have to respect it. It's you know, the he, ultimate Trojan horse column. He really, he's a big tent columnist. That's what Phil Mushnick is. He writes, he uses one column, but he brings everyone in. He wants everyone to, to suffer under his writing. And frankly, for that, I I salute him. I think about like whether or not people edit these, you know, because ending with seven straight questions like that is either like you're fucking James Joyce or you just didn't get edited, you know, (laughs) one or the other. And in this case, it seems like you just didn't get edited. Once again, we go back to like seventh grade essays that I was writing where you just think you're cool because you're posing all these hypothetical questions, but really it's just, I don't know the answers and I need space to fill. So I'm going to say, what did the green light symbolize at the end of Great Gatsby? And what was Jay Gatsby's motivation overall? And you hope that the teacher is going to think you're deep as opposed to just think you're kind of stupid, you know? And in that essay being like, do we beat on boats against the current <laughs> born ceaselessly back into the past? Wow. What a does, flex. <laughs> does this represent the American dream? Is the American dream the waves or the light? Is the American dream Gatsby or Daisy? I don't know. And I what does the American dream even mean? I definitely have an essay in my, in my past, you know, in the old binders in my parents' basement titled, Is the American Dream Dead? And my Hell answer yeah. is definitely yes. A resounding we yes. Love to see it. Uh, last thing about this column, and then we'll catch everyone up on the last four months of labor negotiations in baseball. A small task that we're going to try to accomplish in one podcast. He gave us Uncle Rob. Now we just have to use that Uncle Rob. Yeah. Oh, catch me out here photoshopping pictures of Rob Manfred on under onto the like Uncle Sam posters, you know. I want you to stop using the F word. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to lick your owner's boots. I like it. I like it. I like the calm. Thank you, Phil. We need it. It really, it it is creative. Like it it is. is, Unironically speaking, it's good. (laughs) If if nothing else, (laughs) 
He is one to really dig deep into his mind and find something and and write in the most artistic way possible about it. The most artistic way that he knows how to write. He's the only one who could have written this column. I want somebody, when we're doing this podcast 20 years from now, or somebody else is doing a fucking podcast or a live TikTok show about this podcast making fun of us, I want somebody to at least say, ironically, it was good. Only they could have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Everything they were talking about was bad. You know, like when America inevitably falls into fascism and the idea of unions becomes villainized and we're like the two idiot dudes talking about unions on a podcast together. That's fine. They can smash us for our political views. But I want them to at least say, nobody else could have done this. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to say that for the record. but <laughs> No. I, but, you know, I, I, that's the hope, is that the Zoomers and their kids are so much further left than us. They're like, look at these fucking guys. advocating ass. Advocating for unions and shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the union in baseball. <laughs> Um, last week we kind of semi-promised a labor catch-up um, on everything that's gone on in the last, whatever, a couple weeks, couple months, however long you want to extend the timeline back to discuss what's going on in this weekend. So Alex and I are going to get to this past week. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that we didn't do our full labor catch-up last week because there's a lot that's happened in this past week that we would have needed to discuss or would have made it outdated. And I should say... We're recording this on Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. So the MLB and the MLBPA have not come to an agreement. The MLBPA has not voted yet. Uh, We wanted to talk about just everything in the last six to eight weeks because we haven't been really following it in and out, week in and week out, because there's been a lot of other stuff to talk about. And then we took two weeks off and... I don't know. It it feels like it's at least worth giving the timeline. So, Alex, are you ready? I think so. I'm going to run through the first couple months of this, and then we'll talk in detail about the last week. On May 11th, the owners pre-approve a plan that they are going to propose to the union. This is before negotiations have even started. So, the owners pre-approve it. They leak it to the press immediately. May 11th. That plan is 82 games, 50-50 revenue split. On May 18th, the owners claim they'll lose 640K a game, which is hilarious. On May 20th, MLB proposes that May 11th plan. The players counter only on health and safety and tell the owners to do better on money because they don't, they're not willing to they're not willing to negotiate with a side that's proposing a 50-50 revenue split, which has never been part of the collective bargaining agreement in baseball. On May 26th, that's when the owners proposed that weird sliding scale proposal where all the richer players make less percentage of their contract and the quote-unquote poorer players make more percentage of their contract, but still not all of it prorated, which was a total disaster. The MLBPA at that point is like, we're still not going to counter on this specifically, but we'd like you to prove your financial distress at this point because all of your proposals are making it seem like you're dead broke. We want you to prove your financial distress. May 31st, MLBPA releases their first counterproposal. It's 114 games prorated. June 3rd, MLB outright rejects that proposal. They wait five more days. On June 8th, 
they propose 76 games at 75% prorated salary. On June 9th, the PA proposes 89 games prorated salary. On June 10th, Manfred guarantees that there will be a season. And then on June 12th, the owners propose 72 games for 70% prorated salary that will then bump up to 80% if they complete the postseason. So we've now heard the same proposal from the owners three straight times. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're aware of this fact. There are a lot of reporters pointing out the fact that the total money given to the players in all of these proposals from the ownership side so far is about 33% of what the players would have made if there was a full season with full revenue. On June 13th, the MLBPA rejects this and tells them to schedule a season. So now we're back to last weekend. So we're caught up to where the last time you and I talked, Alex. Let's talk about this week. On Monday... Oh, where to start? On Monday, June 15th, Manfred goes on ESPN. Is it, was, did he say this on ESPN? Or did he say was, this before? I think it was on ESPN. Anyway, there's the return to play. There's the return to sports special on ESPN. And Manfred is quoted saying, he is, quote unquote, not confident that there will be a season this year. Despite, as I just mentioned, listener, five days earlier, Manfred guaranteeing a season. <laughs> they, he says, it's just a disaster for the, the way this specific quote sounds absolutely Trumpian. He's like, it's just, it's just a disaster for this game. Absolutely no question about it. It shouldn't be happening. And it's important that we find a way to get it past, get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. I'm just like, what is that's such empty rhetoric? What does that mean? It's a disaster for this game. Yeah, it's a disaster that you manufactured. You at the behest of the owners. Like, what did you expect? That last point that you made is really important to me because oh thanks at the behest of the owners specifically you using that phrase because i think a lot of people on pro player baseball twitter and you and i have slipped into this too blaming this on manfred while easy and funny because he actually is a big part of the problem it's just not enough it's not enough if you replaced manfred yesterday we would still have all the same problems because Manfred isn't going out there with the intention of making himself look like a fucking moron. He didn't go out five days earlier and say, I'm 100% confident in a season, knowing that he was going to have to come back and say, actually, we might not have a season. He's not that. He's not stupid. Like he's a, he's a very accomplished, smart guy. He understands the politicking around labor negotiations very well, which is how he got to be commissioner of baseball in the first place they put him in in charge because they're like this guy can drive a hard bargain and that's all we care about they being the owners in this in this circumstance and i don't want to blame manfred too much honestly and i have fallen first, into that first trap. times you will ever hear those words on this podcast I fall, we fall into that trap a lot because he is the avatar for the owners but honestly what we should be doing is just blaming all 30 owners there's no good no such thing as a good owner in baseball anymore they've completely jump the shark, they're beyond the point of return at this point. Because this week has illustrated to me that it's not Manfred's fault, dude. Like, he would never go out five days apart and make himself look like an absolute clown if he wasn't being pressured in back rooms to just do the bidding of all of these guys. It's a little bit, to me, 
forgive me for this strained metaphor, but it's a little bit to me like people who just blame the state of the country on just Trump. They're like, God, if we could just get Trump out of here. It's like, okay, that's actually maybe a good start for a lot of people. But then there's a lot more work to do here. And there's a lot more work to do with baseball ownership and, and financial relations too. The system has been set up to benefit those few people at the very top who are reaping those rewards. So yeah, you can cut off the head, but there's just going to be another seven head more going to grow back. Yeah, like Manfred arguably is the compromise candidate in in some sense. I think that any owner, I think that anyone that replaced him would arguably be even more outwardly pro-owner. And I think Manfred's able to toe that line a little bit better because he was a labor lawyer. And so he can obviously drive a hard bargain for the league, but he also kind of knows how to act in those in those backroom deals. And which, he knows like, how to wield public opinion better too. Yes, exa- exactly. I think if you replace Manfred with some of the more hardliner owners first choice, we would get this very... Um, bombastic kind of aggressive owner who is just coming out and just much more charismatic, much more detrimental to this to the sport, much more detrimental to the the face of the game than Manfred is. Like he is just so I just don't I don't care when he talks. But I I think that if we had a a commissioner who was like Trumpian in the way that he actually I spoke, know, you know, like it's the, the only way like we, we can s- describe it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, you know what I'm the, saying? The parallels become eerie at this point. All right. So so we're up to we're up to June 15th. Yes. Not only does he say that he's not certain there's going to be a season, but he also basically comes out and threatens the MOBPA, right? And says, Right, look, if you don't withdraw this grievance that you've that you're threatening against us, basically, that you're gonna file against us, this supposedly billion dollar grievance that could cost all the owners, millions and millions of dollars. If you don't withdraw it, then there's not going to be a season at all. Right. While at the same time talking out, out of the other side of his mouth and being like, yeah, this grievance has no, means nothing. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no chance. They have no, they have no ground to stand on, but also please, please, please don't file it. Please. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to do that. <laughs> um, that, okay. So the grievance part of it, we haven't really discussed. We haven't really explained. So the grievance is, in the March agreement, capital T, capital M, capital A, the March agreement, <laughs> which was basically when the owners and players came together, the owners in the union came together and they agreed that they would do their best to have this season. That was when the $170 million was split up among the players to pay them in the interim. And they agreed that they would do their best to play this season to play the most games possible. That was the agreement. Now, I haven't, I haven't read the agreement. I don't know the specifics of the clauses of each sentence. I don't know the commas. I don't know the, where the periods are. I don't know all that stuff. I don't think anyone does. I don't know if any reporter has laid eyes on it in a way that they can report. Because if not, it would be like in a Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellich piece. It would be in a Jeff Passan piece. But based on the way that the owners have acted since then, it seems like they would lose a grievance about grievance being a legal proceeding where the union files this grievance and then an independent arbitrator decides which side is right. It's so funny how how 
big a role arbitrators play in baseball. That's how you know we're fucked here. Like baseball fans have to know what arbitration is on like a deep fundamental level. <laughs> but an independent arbitrator would decide if both parties acted fairly according to that agreement, meaning did both parties try to play the most games possible? And I got to say, only one side has proposed over 100 games. Only one side has proposed over 80 games. Only one side has proposed over 70 games. So it seems like only one side tried to play the most games possible. That's just me. You guys know which way I lean. So maybe I, we could bring on someone who would be like, but I don't know. The owners are trying their best. Maybe. The- but it seems like they don't even think they're trying their best because they want the union to waive their right to this grievance. And the thing is, by admitting that the grievance poses a real threat to them, that almost, I don't know, that in itself justifies the legitimacy of having a grievance. Because most of the time, you hammer this stuff out in the back room. Um, and for months, MLB has been saying, well, we can't do the season because we're going we're gonna to lose revenue because there's going to be no fans in the, in the seats. And that's going to cost us a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, for, for no real reason, uh, incredible force, incredible unforced error by Rob Manfred because Big he comes out because he comes out and says, well, we can't have the season if you're going to file this grievance against us. And it's like, wait, so what? remind me again why we can't have the season. Is it that there's going to be no fans or is it this, this grievance is going to cost you a billion dollars? Like what is the, the public waffling has ultimately... I think set up the owners for failure if the grievance ever does come about, which like it seems relatively unlikely now, who knows? Um, but a lot know, of the, uh, yes, I mean, really look, if I was knows? on the MLBPA executive committee, I would be like grievance time. Fuck yes. the season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's I, too far because like these guys want to play baseball and this is their income and like they, they don't want the sport to be, in dire straits for the next three years as they try to bring fans back into the game. I understand that. But like the whole point of a CBA is so that you can agree to the terms to which you will work for a company. And the whole point of enforcing that CBA is the right to file agreements when that CBA is not met. So it's not even the right to for MLB to lose the agreements. Like the PA is not giving up the right to win the grievance when they agree to this deal from the MLB. The PA is just giving up the right to file the grievance at all, which is bullshit. Like, don't give up that right. That's your right when you have a CBA to file a grievance to enforce how the CBA is met. It's just, sorry that you don't want the union to file a grievance. Don't give them a reason to grieve. I, it's it's all it's all part of this larger trend from MLB owners where they just win on all economic issues. They just win on all labor relations issues because that's the trend that, frankly, just our country is heading towards. And when you see someone like Chris Bryant lose his grievance after five years, of course the owners feel invincible. Why wouldn't they feel invincible? They just act however they want all the time and they win their grievances. But it seems like they wouldn't win this one. So this sparked a really big outcry, not only from members of baseball, media, Twitter, like like you and I, and and writers and fans, but but also from players themselves, who 
basically said, buddy, we want to play. We don't, we don't want to file this grievance. Tell us when and where, right? And that became kind of this rallying cry. When and where? Tell us when, tell us where, and we'll show up because we're ready to play baseball right now. We want to play. We don't, we don't want to do this back and forth. Um, and it, it very clearly like lit a fire under the league's ass. You know, it was kind of like all of a sudden the players started calling their, the owner's bluff, started calling Manfred's bluff. They were like, dude, yeah, we're ready. Let's go. And Manfred was like, no, wait, no, I thought we were still, I thought we were still in an arg- argument. Like I, we I had thought, the upper Yeah, I thought hand. we were still playing chicken here. Yeah. The players like, yeah. nope. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we should say also that the one element of this that we haven't discussed is that Manfred technically has the, the legal right to impose a season like of, of any length in the CBA. He can impose the season of any length so long as the players are paid their prorated salaries, which clearly the owners don't want to do. So he has the legal right to do a thing that the owners don't want him to do. <laughs> so the players angle to the when and where thing is they're saying, just impose the season. We don't care what the length is. We'll play 25 games if you want us to. And then we'll file our agreements and we'll get all of that money. That billion dollars that you alluded to earlier, Alex, we'll get all of that money and we'll split it up because you guys didn't try to play the most games possible. Especially if you impose a season that's 48 games when you've already proposed 60 games. you know. And now they're saying they can't play more than 60 games at all. So let's catch up on the last couple of days. As you said, this little, this little fire under the league's ass. And Tony Clark and Rob Manfred came together. They met in Arizona. I hope that they were six feet apart wearing masks. Do you think that they just met at like a Qdoba or something? Like, where do you think that they were like hanging out? <laughs> yeah, like an like an airport bar, you know, yeah. like with three bar stools between them. Dude, Phoenix Airport, kind of nice. I like the Phoenix Airport. <laughs> so on June seventeenth, Manfred and Clark meet. They come out of this with a proposal from MLB's side because it's MLB's turn to propose something. Because the players have already outright rejected the last proposal from MLB. And Manfred, it's unclear to me whether Manfred actually thought they had a proposal because everybody came out of that meeting being like, all right, game on. You know, John Heyman is tweeting like, we're about to reach an agreement. And we're all like, okay, fine. We're going to, we're going, we're going. Um, it's unclear whether Manfred actually thought they had agreement or whether he just leaked that they had agreement to make it look bad if Tony Clark was like, no. We don't have an agreement. I don't, it's hard for me to say, and I don't really care. But the agreement that Manfred, or the proposal that Manfred put across the table from the MLB side is 60 games, full prorated salary, and then they have to continue to hammer out the details on the health and safety part of it. Well, And, and, you, and, and it, you also have these expanded yes. playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And also the the league is saying also you guys can't file your grievance that's the that's the little asterisk at the bottom that says also if we hash this out you waive your right to any grievance yes and tony clark was like no so then they counterproposed the next day very quickly a similar thing 70 games still have to hash out the details of the health and safety we've accepted the expanded playoffs to now 16 teams rather than 10 teams which is a it's a big expansion and that way you can get more playoff revenue from more series and that can kind of counteract some of the losses of not having fans and having a much shorter season 
Um, but that and very importantly, the PA was like, no, we're not waiving our right to file this grievance. And they would still have to discuss the the health and safety protocols. And oh, the other thing is that they agreed to a fucking universal DH, which you and I don't even have time to talk about right now. But I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm so mad that these are the conditions under which I have to lose the DH argument. But whatever. And then MLB was like, the MLB came out the next day and they were like, this is happening on Juneteenth. The MLB is just like tripping over themselves constantly. But the MLB is like, nope, we can't play more than 60 games. We need you to file your grievance. This is our last proposal, whatever you guys vote on it. And that vote is happening today, June 21st. Maybe as we speak, we don't know if that news is going to break. We were kind of hoping that the news might break while we were recording the podcast. But Alex, we don't have clarity on that yet. I guess now as we're coming to the end of our labor catch up here, do you have an overarching takeaway from the last three months about, I hate these big phrases like the state of the game, but this last three months is undoubtedly going to set a foundation for what the next, or is going to contribute to the foundation for what the next labor negotiations are going to be like in a year and a half. So do you have an overarching takeaway about how we should feel about the next decade of baseball? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, (laughs) I think that the widening gap between players and owners, obviously, I mean, it's very much on display in public. And I think that that has soured a lot of fans' um, taste. I mean, it's it's been made very clear that the owner's interest and, and Rob Manfred's ultimate interest in the game is more financial than anything else it's it's i mean it's entirely financial um and i think to see it just kind of laid out so plainly um i mean it sucks and i think a lot of fans are like kind of coming around to that realization too you know um that ultimately that the sport is a business and this sort of thing comes at really the worst time for baseball over discussions about I mean, we've already been having discussions about where baseball is going generally and whether it's, you know, slowly dying, right? Whether people are losing interest in it. And this is the very type of thing that MOB wants to be discussing least while these larger conversations about the the state of the game, the health of the game are already going on, right? And so, yes, there may be a season in 2020. There may not be a season in 2020. But I think it really sets up the next two or three years to be really pivotal for like what the game looks like, right? Maybe we don't have a season this year. And if there are no fans allowed in stadiums next year, then maybe we ultimately, I mean, you know, we're back to square one again. Maybe we don't have a season in 2021 either. That's obviously we're talking worst case scenario right now. But then all of a sudden you come to 2022 and the CBA is up, right? And they have to come to a new agreement. And at this point, if we haven't had baseball in a year and a half or something like that, the free agent market is completely tanked. Again, not to be like all apocalyptic and say this could very well spell doom for the sport of baseball, but I think that at a certain point, Rob Manfred needs to be very realistic about the the future that he's looking into and maybe like 
grow a bit of a spine and turn around to owners and be like, look, none of this shit's ideal. Yeah, I get that you're a billionaire and you don't want to lose a zero or two off the end of that, but maybe suck it it's up. Not even- Just, yeah, I know. It's, it's not even that. It's, it's chump change to them. Like you're going to be a billionaire at the end of the day, no matter what. But like at, at a certain point, Rob Manfred maybe needs to talk the other way a little bit more and act as more of like a, 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 the, the center to these like two diverging parties, you know? And that's not what he is. I mean, he's just on the owner's side. That's his role. I get it, but. Well, I, I, I'm with you. And, you know, we should say that there probably shouldn't be a baseball season this year. You know, it came out on Friday on the same day that, um, that MLB said that they won't play more than 60 games. It came out that I think eight, people in the Phillies organization tested positive for COVID. I think five people in the Blue Jays, a couple people in maybe the Diamondbacks. It's it's a lot of different teams that are starting to have positive tests leaked to the media for reasons that are unclear and potentially nefarious. But I I sort of lament the idea that this is the this is probably the right thing not to have baseball, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And then they're going to try to make it seem like they were doing it for the right reasons all along. Well, we can't possibly play more than 60 games because we don't want it to go too far into the fall because of what Anthony Fauci is saying and because of, you know, a potential second wave, even though the first wave hasn't ended, you know. I I do lament that aspect of this, but I think everything you're saying is right, but I just don't think that Rob Manfred or the commissioner of baseball in general is ever going to be in a position to tell owners what to do or what not to do he works for them he is the he is employed by them he is their lawyer i mean like he is their lawyer straight up that is his role and there are obviously a team of mlb lawyers and you can you can gripe with the fact that manfred is their lawyer or you can say that the commissioner of baseball shouldn't be that and you can you can you can hearken back to Faye Vincent all you want. You can say we need an MLB commissioner that's going to, like you said, grow a spine and stand up to owners. But for what? To be replaced by Bud Selig? To be replaced by a former owner? It's just the structure is broken. The The labor structure of where it's the owners, the players, the players union trying to claw back all they can from the owners, That that's it. That's that is the inherent tension, not the fact that Rob Manford is not Adam Silver. Do you know why Adam Silver has an easier job? Because the owners aren't only in it for profit. And if they are, they're not announcing that to the public. Or because basketball owners are maybe smarter. They're just smarter billionaires. They understand the appreciation of their franchise value. And frankly, their franchises are appreciating faster. Right. And so they're and making more money on it. If you allow, and here's where Rob Manfred's biggest faults come into play. You allow these new owner, owners to come in and you allow them to leverage debt so that they don't have to take a loss on their budget sheet at the end of each year or at the end of the first year that they acquire the team. That's where Rob Manfred has really fucked up because that's why you have all of these owners. Ex- excuse me, Phil Mushnick, I'm sorry. That's where you have all of these owners we're like, we can't lose 640K a game, even though that's a lie. We can't lose any money a game because we've already in, we've already made it look like we lost a lot of money already. 
by acquiring this team, even though they didn't lose a lot of money, the bank lost a lot of money, you know? And that's, that's like, now we're down a rabbit hole of straight up bank financed capitalism and how that is ruining our society. But it's just, it's like an octopus. It has its tentacles around baseball in a way that it doesn't necessarily in other sports. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you illustrated the key difference between like baseball and basketball. And that's that like, frankly, among fans at the very least, basketball is really successful and it's making a lot of money right now. And it's like at the center of like the cultural zeitgeist, right? And baseball doesn't have that. It's to be clear, it's still raking in a ton of money, but like attendance is dipping a little bit. And the interest in the Wonder game why. isn't isn't where it was 20 or 30 years ago. And instead of owners saying, hmm, yeah, I wonder if it has something to do with like $17 beers, um, they're basically saying, all right, I guess it's time to cash out, right? And so they're grabbing whatever they can from the burning building and just running. And if it if it means like an entire generation of fans turning on them, they are ultimately okay with that. Well, you wonder why they have these tendencies. It's because it's scorched earth capitalism at its finest. It's let's let the building burn and let's collect the insurance. Let's let baseball die as a sport and let's make money year over year over year. The problem is, and maybe these owners don't care because they have financial projections that show that baseball will be this successful until they're dead. But the problem is, you actually will lose money on baseball if your franchise value starts to dip a lot. I don't understand how they don't see that. And maybe that's why I'm not a billionaire. Probably not why I'm not a billionaire, but you know what I mean. Maybe that's why I don't see the world in this way, um, which uncharitably might be called the bootlickers way. But I just can't understand why they don't understand that their franchise value might go down because as soon as those franchise values start taking a turn then we can actually start talking about the death of the game like the legitimate real death of the game or a radical labor restructure like we talked about you know three episodes ago where it's like could fans own a team could cities own a team could baseball become a a public good and they they clearly don't want that because they're making billions on it but what what are you going to do? Like, is that the only way we get to public ownership of baseball is owners being like, actually, this isn't profitable for us anymore. Cause that's the only way we've ever got public ownership of anything else. Right. Exactly. It's yes. I think that is, that is the correct assumption. Cool. Cool. Which is, which is uh, like, well, not we just to signed say ourselves that- <laughs> up for 15 more years of this exact conversation. Alex, <laughs> I can't wait. Right. And that's not to say like, that's how I want things to go down. I mean, sure. I would love to see a publicly owned team, but I don't, I don't want it to be at the expense of like decades of interest lost in the game, you know, and like acrimony between owners and players like this shit sucks at the end of the day. Like it's not fun to wake up to and see the commissioner be like, yeah, I don't know if there's going to be a season this year for reasons unbeknownst to any of us. But I just can't say that it's going to happen. So, like, Manfred is never going to, like, turn around and talk back to the owners. Because, like you said, his job is to just represent their best interests. But I think they have to realize that there is more at stake here than just, like, the 2020 season or a few million dollars. 
Like there's a lot more on the line than just that. Maybe they don't think there is, you know, like maybe they're like, Hey, we survived 94. Maybe they're the type of 68 year old billionaire who was like, all these young people don't know what they're talking about. We've weathered larger storms than this. Baseball is fine in the long run. And you know what? I hope they're right. I hope that enough people still like baseball that it's cool for us to talk about baseball in five years. Yeah. I mean, because it's already ult- feeling like it's not, you know, people are already like, why do you like baseball? Yeah. Well, and ultimately, these handful of people who own the teams know they're going to be fine either way. And so they're like, look, if the sport, if the value plummets, like, yeah, I might lose some money, but I'll weather the storm. Meanwhile, this is like, this is an economy for thousands of people across the country. Like it affects more than just billionaire owners and millionaire players. Like it affects stadium employees. Like that is thousands, tens of thousands of people out of work, right? And again, we're talking about if the sport ceases to exist, which is not abs- which is not imminent at all. Yeah. I mean, we still have like oil mines. <laughs> <laughs> which are not profitable or good for the world, you know? Like, well, maybe they are profitable. I don't know. We've gotten like actually really big tent conversation about capitalism in this. I want to wrap up by talking about, so I had floated to you that I was going to go to some of the old Facebook groups that I am a part of because I, when we made this podcast, I joined like 25 Facebook groups of baseball fans and I'm still in a couple of them just to see kind of the tone of the world, the baseball world as they react to news. The silent majority as it were silent majority as it were, although not silent on Facebook. <laughs> I, was pleasantly surprised. Not that many people were hammering the the players. Now, I didn't go back to the very beginning of all of these negotiations, but in the last couple weeks, or in the last few days at least, people were kind of reasonable, Alex. So I don't even have that many quotes to read to you. Um, There was just one dude that was like, part of me wants to watch baseball, the other part of me wants a fair negotiation, especially for the players who can't seem to catch a break. I miss baseball nevertheless. Wow. My guy. Maybe he's listening to tipping pitches. <laughs> then you got you got some of the guys who are like players who just take it already. They need to step back and ask themselves what do they really want? If they really want to play, then they should just accept it so they can start hammering out the health and safety, blah, 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 blah. And then you have the dudes who are like nuts. Like they're like amazing that thousands can march and protest and loot. The president of the United States can hold rallies. NASCAR can drive. The Belmont Stakes can run. But baseball is unable to even practice, let alone play. All baseball can do is cry about money. They don't care about fans. All they care about is their TV money. So they cannot play. Greedy bastards, the whole lot, just greedy. Although, nothing in there specifically about the players. Nothing specifically about the players. Ultimately right. So that so yeah so that's my foray into baseball fans of America at one of the most fraught times for labor relations in baseball and it wasn't as bad as I thought so you know the olds they're all right the the, the baseball fans of America are just saying when and where we'll show up we'll we'll be fans but but Rob you know Uncle <laughs> we should we should send this Facebook group like some screenshots to to old Uncle Rob and be like look even even your bo- bootlickers the fans. Who 
who were sending love to you six months ago, you've you've lost them. And when you've lost them, maybe it's time to reevaluate where you stand. I think that, and and this is our last point on this, and then we'll wrap up. I think that ultimately, that's because the players found a way. They found a way to effectively message this. And that is what is exciting for me as someone who cares about unions, who cares about labor relations for workers in America. I understand how ridiculous it feels to talk about baseball players like they're workers like in factory or whatever, but this stuff matters. This shit matters. It matters to effectively communicate your message and, and to win in the court of public opinion. And their communication that when and where we'll play, we just want to play, it really resonated with fans. Because fans just want to watch. You know, most fans just want to watch. We talk about this all the time. Most fans don't want to hear about the monetary aspects of this. Most fans don't want to learn about what the sliding scale paying Mike Trout looks like. Most fans don't want to think about even... Most fans don't even care that the owners are losing 640 k a game. If that's true. It's weird that there are a lot of fans who do care about that. I think there should be zero fans who care about that, but... I thought it was really effective, like Tony Clark being like, this is it. We're done. Just tell us when and where. And then all of the players getting behind that and kind of tweeting the hashtag, even if they haven't been outspoken to this point thus far. Absolutely. So so we say to you, Uncle Rob, tell us when and where. We're ready to podcast for you. <laughs> we'll do it. We are here. We're locked and loaded. We're ready to go. Extend that invite to all of the people we've discussed so far. Marco Rubio. Come on the pod when and where? Yeah, Phil Mushnick, exactly. you want to come on the pod when and where? Oh my god, we need we need a a Mushnick Rubio Manfred roundtable. My brain just exploded thinking about that. <laughs> Moderated by Mike Francesa. <laughs> <laughs> You just mentioned Mike Francesa. He's been riding the pro player train for the last couple weeks. I've been listening. He's definitely slipping into that. Both sides, they need to just figure this out. You know, that both sides is him. They're both fucking it up. He slips into that. He doesn't, but he he smashes the owners, I think, harder than the players. You know, he thinks the players are a little bit entitled, but I think that has more to do with, like, he thinks everybody younger than him is entitled. (laughs) So shout out to Francesa. We hope he'll moderate our panel. Absolutely. If if this doesn't radicalize you, I really, I don't know what will. Anything else to leave listeners with before we get out of here? I think that's it. I hope this conversation remains relevant 24 hours from now. But at the same time, I, I hope it doesn't. Maybe, <laughs> I, I hope it's outdated and there is a plan for, for baseball in place. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back a week from now. You can reach out to us at tipping underscore pitches on Twitter tippingpitchespot at gmail.com if you like hearing us talk about this stuff maybe pass it along to a recently radicalized baseball fan friend of yours or just a, a, a someone who's been radicalized the whole time but is looking for a podcast to listen to we would really appreciate that um, and any kind of rating or review at your listening spot of choice uh, we'll talk to you in a week thanks everybody Watching